So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and 10 and 0. Us boys over here are 10 and 0. I don't know how you guys are feeling over there in Australia, but it's pretty good over here in New Zealand. In fact, um, I think it's, it'd be embarrassing if you were uh, one of the lone Waratahs fans that was sitting at Eden Park uh, on Saturday afternoon getting excited at the, the sole intercept try that Jake Gordon managed to, to snipe to give us some sort of element of hope in that game before it was quickly crushed by the rest of the, rest of the Auckland Blues. Boys, how's the mood over there in Australia at the moment? I can expect the, the um, all the typical conversations about uh, whether Australian teams will match up to the, any of these New Zealand teams at any point has started and you know, all the, you know, is trans-Tasman something that's worth it for the New Zealanders and Australian counter-arguments that, oh, this is how we get better, we play against these teams. It's it's just all, yeah, it's all come flooding back like it does in the normal Super Rugby seasons when we when we have a bit of a poor run. It's just very concentrated now because it's been pure NZ on Australia and, and 10 from O, like you said. But, you know, it's there's there's just another tier there that the New Zealand teams are playing at. There's higher intensity higher paced, um, you know, obviously they've, they've been playing at that pace for the last 12 weeks or something and we haven't and we're struggling to match it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's really difficult for us to to judge it on two rounds, I think, still, but it's definitely been a shock over here and the, the mood's definitely sombered when it's been such a strong AU competition. You know, numbers have been up from a, a television perspective. Fans have been turning up to grounds and now suddenly that narrative has really changed um, and we're searching for a win, which, you know, you can recall this happened a number of years ago when we went on that long run without a win against Kiwi teams. And you just got to hope that in round, in round three, we can actually get a win on the board and, and maybe, you know, change that narrative a little bit because at the moment, yeah, it's not a great way to lead into these international games and the rugby championship, obviously, we want to be competitive with the best team in the world. And I think we do have to play the Kiwi teams. Like there's no getting around that, but yeah, it is a bit of a shock, I think. And it feels a little bit like the climate has sort of switched from there being a lot of pressure on the Rebels and the Waratahs as coming the bottom of the sort of table to now it's almost the pressures now getting flipped up to the Reds and the Brumbies as supposed to be sort of our top tier teams to actually do something here. Whereas you can say that the Rebels seem to improve on their performance from round one in this game um, against the Hurricanes. And similarly, the Waratahs, while defence is lacking, they are still showing a little bit of attacking prowess prowess and a little bit of entertaining sort of rugby is still being played um, from those guys in the sky blue too. I think personally, I was pinning my hopes on the Brumbies and Reds really being able to disrupt this competition and and show the Kiwi teams how strong we've been this year. And it just hasn't happened yet. 
And of course, there's, you know, the Brumbies in round one against the Crusaders were pretty close to getting a victory. Obviously, the Force were close in their first game as well. But yeah, it's it's disappointing that we haven't been able to assert that dominance and and show how, you know, good we've been this year, particularly with the Reds and Brumbies. Um, I think that's why it's been even more dramatic over here that we haven't even been able to get a win from the Reds in, in one of these games and, and say, oh, look, we can be competitive. The scores have been blowing out and it's been really disappointing. The only, um, the only thing I'd add to that is, like, so far, unfortunately, our, our best teams have been playing either the, the New Zealand's best teams or, I guess, in the case of the Reds, they're having the, the game against the Highlanders away the week after their grand final in the AU competition. So the Brumbies and the Force, who were really one kick away from draws and wins in round one, we didn't have those kinds of close matches by the end in these in these weeks. But we have, well, for the Brumbies at least, they've got the Crusaders and the Chiefs out of the way. They'll be they'll be trying to pick themselves up and go after these lower ranked teams now. And and the Reds have got the Chiefs this weekend. And after that they've got a couple of softer teams relative to the Crusaders. So there's still there's still hope of wins. I, I think unfortunately we've probably now done ourselves out of any final spots though. Yeah. So so scores on the weekend. We obviously had the Hurricanes uh, taking down the Rebels, thirty five to thirteen. Um, only, I mean, I say only a twenty two point margin, but I guess when you're coming off um, sort of fifty point margin the week before, that seems a little bit more respectable from the Rebels. Um, the Force fifteen went down to the Highlanders twenty five. Highland just just starting out quick and strong um, and difficult for the force to catch up. Uh, the Blues, man, they've just found a little bit of a spark back of their magic, 48 to 21 over the Tars. Um, this was a bigger shock, I think. The Chiefs over the Brumbies, 40 points to 19. And it didn't even, it looked closer in the actual game. But the Chiefs, I think it's just the speed at which they started off this game was just a little bit more than the Brumbies could handle. And then Coming back to Suncorp, 28-63, to 63, the Crusaders just turned on an insane performance. Boys, where do you want to start? Do you want to touch on some of these games? Do you want to just go to Reds-Crusaders as the game we sort of thought was going to be closer or concentrate on the Reds and Brumbies? Uh, speak, speaking of the first couple of games, I, I would say the Rebels looked a bit better, but they're just, they're just small and, and they've got no penetration in their backs. Um, they just can't cross the gain line even against you know teams that have shown to have weaker defenses like the the Hurricanes against the Tars the previous week. Um, you know they're making minimal breaks in the line. They're not beating any defenders. They're just manageable. So the other team really just has to you know keep their structure and they're not having to do too much to contain the Rebels. And then they kick the ball away and teams like the Hurricanes are beating defenders forty four times and having 20 clean breaks in the course of a game, like the hard-nosed defense of the Rebels just won't stand up for 80 minutes, eventually get tired and those gaps come. So that's saying that's almost a um, selections, well, it's a, it's a squad depth problem for the for the Rebels. Like Ely, who's been playing in the centers a lot of this season, um, has looked okay at times, but you've seen him against his opposition on the field. He's tiny. Like he's not a big guy and he's just... He's not able to hold up um, in defense. Yeah, just a lot of their back line. They've reshuffled this week. It looked 
looked interesting early on, but it eventually succumbed in the same sort of way, pushing Tamura out to 12. I don't think that really added anything to this lineup. Would you prefer to see them keep Tamura at 12 going forward then? Or? I think they might as well. Like if they're trying to develop um, the, um, sorry, the 10 on Carter the weekend, Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. If, if he's someone they're genuinely interested in, I, I don't know anything about him, but if they're they interested in him, they might as well. 12, they just, otherwise their backline just stops at Campbell Magnet. Like he's not a distributing player. So if you have him and Ely in your centers, you don't, the ball doesn't go past them and you can't get it in the hands of Marika unless he comes in there and he still looks like your best player even though he got denied a try, which we thought he was finally going to get over the line. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a really black and white indication, isn't it? Like, that Marika hasn't scored a try in the AU competition or in this trans-Tasman so far. So, they're obviously not getting him into, uh, you know, dominant positions out wide with only, you know, one or two to beat and space space to take. So... Uh, sure, it can't, it can't hurt. The Rebels are now, without a coach, they're trying new things. They should be getting as many of their hopefully bright young talents out there to, to have a go and expose them to this level of competition. As for the force, like, again, the force were in this, um, in the feel of the game with the momentum swings. They they felt like they weren't far off. Um, the Highlanders did a lot with a little, went back to their, you know, scoring points off counter attack and, and not holding the ball all that much. Just a, you know, just another game where the force got run down. They just weren't weren't good enough for eighty minutes to keep the Highlanders out and and score their own points. Um, too many missed tackles. Discipline better, which is a good thing. But yeah, just overall couldn't couldn't match the intensity and the and the counter attack in space from the Highlanders. Yeah, another strong game from Jonah Nairaki in this one, combining well with um, Iwani as well there at the back. Um, these these guys just have these games every so often, which sort of reminds people why they're sort of talked about so much and then they'll go quiet for a, a few more weeks. I did like the look of the the force finally getting Anstey and Lee Warner on the field together, both in the back row there. I think that looked good with those two combining with Koteka as year six, seven, eight. Um, and then Miotti had to come on early, but I think he's probably a better option for the force than McIntyre at this stage. Um, I don't think the, the Highlanders, it's a weird team. I just, I still don't think they're not that impressive on a week to week, but they just seem to know how to, I don't know whether it's the, the tough toughness of the Southlander down there from Dunedin. Um, they know how to grind these games out. And it's the same thing they do against the New Zealand teams when by all means they should be sort of at the bottom of the table, but they keep, sort of working hard and they and they get these close victories um, and they manage to defend well enough. And, yeah, the Highlanders, they, they don't have all the big names there, but Tony Brown's a good coach. He's a savvy coach and he, he knows how to get the job done in that regard. Um, just the force, I think, it's disappointing. They started this competition, two home games, two losses, you know, what could have been in the first one perhaps, but now they go back on the road three games away. Um, so it's going to be the last time this year that the Scott, the Sea of Blue actually gets to see the force play. Um, obviously coming off those highs of the, the semi-final in the AU competition, but now it's definitely come crashing back to earth a little bit. But, you know, they're not doing themselves any favours really by, I think, changing their number 10 on a regular basis. Um, John O'Lance obviously isn't getting a look in anymore. 
for what reasons, I'm not sure. But I thought they were going to stick with Miotti. He was back to the bench in this game, obviously, and back to McIntyre. I just think that they need to create some stability and cohesion there by picking their halves combination and sticking with them um, over more than, say, two or three games. But, yeah, the force, I think the back row is looking better, like you said. Stander's a decent player, but I think he's probably passed his best a little bit and Anstey's the future. Fergus Lee Warner, I think, was unlucky to be benched on numerous occasions this year. He's, he's definitely a quality player and I think he needs more minutes. And yeah, I just, I like the way the force approach things. I think they have the right mindset to win games going forward, I think. Into next year, I think they'll be strong, obviously. They'll continue to recruit. And yeah, it's just a positive vibe around the place. Very different to the Rebels where, you know, they're probably looking at getting getting similar kind of win-loss records, but there's a very different narrative around the force compared to the Rebels. And um, that's something that needs to be rectified in Melbourne um, because, you know, it's a big market. If they don't win games, people are going to stop turning up. And we don't want to be getting back into a situation where we're having conversations about should we be going back to four teams in Australia, things like that. So, yeah, I think it's important that we, we look at these, you know, it's been raised in the media this week. Maybe we have three international players on each roster just to bolster the talent levels a bit. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they did just open it up for a few more players. Like, you've obviously seen what, as you say, has happened with the force and God couldn't, couldn't the Waratahs and Rebels use just a, a couple of international sort of forwards or something to to get people around. Even the likes of that, like how instrumental has Jeremy Thrush been for that? Um, inexperienced sort of force pack to start off with to bring those guys together and put a really hard nose on it. So I definitely, definitely would like to see potentially that if we um, continue to have sort of, we can't get our big names back from overseas. So we're having to field sort of these very inexperienced players. And like, and we go forward to like the Waratahs, um, as I said, 48 to 21. Uh, so Waratahs had Parisi out with the late reshuffle. Um, Will Harrison ended up at, at 15 with Maddox moved over to the wing um, because they want to keep Donaldson in there at 10, which, I mean, there still were sparks um, with this team, but they obviously lacked a little bit of penetration in the back line. Um, it's, it's the same names every week. Jake Gordon um, is just, he's put himself, I think, second in line for the Wallaby spot um, with his play over the last couple of weeks. It's just, he just seems to be a notch above where he's been in the last couple of seasons. And then Angus Bell... First. If not first, maybe, you reckon? I mean, Possibly, we haven't seen Nick, Nick White sort of on the field for quite as often in these last couple of weeks. Yeah, we know, and we know how much of a, a fan Rennie is of Jake Gordon um, because of his strong box-kicking game, his good passing game, and add that to his try-scoring ability, which we're seeing more of now that he's healthy. And, um, you know, just the anticipation to take that pass was pretty amazing. I think Nick White is still a very good option. But, yeah, it's interesting that we've been seeing more of Lonigan for the Brumbies. Um, and I think Tate McDermott's still working on elements of his game. Interesting. The Blues, they, they definitely have found the spark at the moment. And, I mean, there's a few, like Tom Robinson has been playing outstandingly, um, stepping as, in as captain in that number six position. Um, and, and Kawi Tuiotti in their second row as well, I think, has been immense uh, the last few occasions that he's been out there on the park, as well as the likes of Zan Sullivan, their new sort of fullback young guy. He definitely seems to make a difference. I think um, he's a guy that's, I reckon, he's locked down that 15 jersey 
uh, for for a while now, and he seems to be happy to step in, sort of a playmaker when he needs to be, but also he's a threat out wide as well. So I'm a big fan of um, what he's managed to do, and I think he's given that backline a little bit more direction um, of what potentially they've needed uh, in the last in the last few weeks of the Aotearoa competition. Yeah, that back three just looks really solid. Like they they've got some great defence. They've got exciting attack, line breaking ability. As you, as you said, Sullivan distributes and and there's a couple of big boots too, like Heem and Sullivan are both putting a fair bit behind the ball and, and when they play the territory game, that's you know been really positive for them. So they're getting on the front foot uh, in that way too. Um, I think I think I mean it's unfortunate this game went to half time just after a Blues try because it was within a point and the the Waratahs were holding. Um, they really didn't didn't have much. Uh, left in the tank in the second half and the depth of the bench probably didn't serve them that well. They they had to adjust to losing for Ketty as well. Mm. Um, yeah, just yeah. all sort of fell off for them. Um, but, you know, they, they did what they could in the second half. Like the scoreline isn't great, but they, they had the ball quite a lot. They, they were stringing phases together. Um, and like you said, like for a team like the Waratahs, if they can recruit and pick up a couple of people um, like a second row or, even maybe a back rower now, like to to kind of plug the gaps where we've got these these intermediate, like these senior guys who aren't that old, but they've they've been around Australia and rugby for a while, and they're and they're talented. They go overseas. You need you need people like that in the system to help coach and mentor the really young, almost debutant sort of guys. And without that um, person alongside them, the stepping stone to lift into the the, the next tier and, and be a, a good match in Super Rugby just doesn't seem to be there. Um, and I think that's where we where we lose the depth on the bench and, and later in the game, the guys just fitness-wise, they're probably all right, but it's just the it's the mindset of still feeling like you're in the game, having the encouragement around you and maintaining your structure in, in the face of, you know, a pretty hot Blues attack. Um, the Waratahs just aren't aren't there yet and, and they need some people in the, in the side who can help keep all the guys heads together and, and keep them playing as a, as a group. Yeah. I think I was just going to say, I want to, you know, I think there was quite a few Waratahs in this game that were very solid. I think um, Gamble's really stepped up uh, yeah, and that's with his point. opportunity. He had four steals, I think in this game, he's, he's got a bit more presence on the field maybe than Tizano, even though Tizano always has that, you know, he's that abundance of enthusiasm and, mm. and real aggression. Gamble kind of picks his spots better. And so he's a bit more I kind of prefer him. Be a bit more physical, actually. And yeah, sort of I think be a, a bit more of a presence. He's a slightly bigger guy. He's a bit more dominant there at the breakdown. Tizano is still developing. I think he will come good. It's just I think Gamble at the moment is worth sticking with. I just want to also shout out to Hugh Sinclair. I think he was tireless in this game. He was everywhere. He's playing out of position. Um, and with all the guys going down, I thought Wetton wouldn't come back. He did in the end, but Douglas was injured. And, you know, we were losing forwards left, right and centre amongst other guys in the back line as well getting injured. So the Waratahs actually, I mean, this was still not a good scoreline, but it could have been a lot worse given how, how many injuries were occurring. So I think there's some key guys there for the Waratahs that are still playing very well. It's just as a package, they don't quite have it yet. But there is, there is potential coming through, which is nice. Now, you're talking about like a lack of depth in some of these teams. And we always said like 
the Brumbies sort of depth is probably the top of the Australian sort of conference. Maybe Reds have just pipped them, but it didn't really feel like it in this game. We had sort of a forward pack that was moving backwards in every scrum against the Chiefs. Um, we had them getting copying a rolling mall and looking like they didn't know what they were doing, defending it early on. Um, and the Chiefs got off to this hot start. I think this Chiefs team has sort of found a nice combination now, um, playing McKenzie at 10 with Tia at 15, um, just because they just don't have anyone else to step into that 10 position for them. But then Weber and Luke Jacobson, again, that 8-9-10 combo now between the three of them is just so strong. Luke Jacobson looks like he's, he's almost like penciling his name in to that um, first All Blacks number eight sort of opportunity of the year almost because what he seems to be doing in terms of um, great defense, but dynamic attack um, in open field and close to the ruck, uh, he's just playing amazingly well. And I don't really understand what happened with the Brumbies sort of physicality that we always thought they would be able to stand tough against some of these teams. And they just, they just weren't consistent across the park. Like they had some good, focus areas like the line out they took a bit of ball off the Chiefs um, Nick Frost looked good was again very busy Swain had a few uh, indiscretions and eventually got the card but um, you know you see someone like Stowers who's come in and is a big physical guy and you think that's a, that's one of you guys who you know you get the ball to him and, and get him going forward he should be crossing the game line with his sort of presence but McKenzie put him over the sideline when he was barreling down the line with only one in front um, and that's just, you know, Mackenzie's, I suppose, a bit special. But, like, the, the Kiwis aren't afraid of anyone just because you're bigger. Um, they're still putting hits on everyone. They've got the technique. They're wrapping the ball up. So Stowers, as a much bigger guy, not only couldn't go through Mackenzie, couldn't stay in field to go to ground and also couldn't get the offload away in that particular example. Like, just 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 had these guys wrapped up on all money. And I don't think they've probably encountered that in the Australian competition so much. Um, the Chiefs are just dogged and they've got all these guys who are on a bit of a, I suppose, a rising momentum, um, rising bit of momentum from the Atoroa comp. Um, Weber was awesome. Web, Weber's, I, I seem like change of mind every week who's the best All Blacks option for number nine, but Weber's just so electric. Like he's fast and he's determined. He's, he's like one of those, um, he's like Jake or he's like, McDonough takes the quick tap and, and pushes forward. Um, when when this combination eight nine ten is working for the Chiefs, yeah, the Brumbies just just couldn't stay in it. They they had some good guys come off the bench. Quenzel had a good game as well, even even coming in late, but just not enough. And and they got shown up. One other guy um, that I think is like what you're saying with like Weber is just electric a little bit is um, off the bench for the Brumbies. Isaac Fiennes, Lele Wasa, like that guy needs more time on the park. Like you saw them early in the season, um, the Brumbies were putting him on the wing because they realised how good he is. And he set up that Bailey Kunzel um, mm. try for them. And he just seemed to be, I don't know, he just seems to be always looking for that gap. And it is like what Weber does, I think. Um, yeah, I, I guess I understand like probably the maturity of someone like Ryan Lonning and his kicking game sort of puts him maybe a little bit in front, but just adding a little bit of that sort of attacking flair. I just, I hope that either the Brumbies are looking to make more room for him um, or that he finds somewhere to get a bit more game time because it's just awesome to watch him. He's one of those guys, particularly that, you know, the darting, sniping speedster. He's so useful late in the game. 
like sometimes you can't have everyone starting. And with Carter coming back, obviously the wings are getting pretty full. And he had a good game too. He made some good meters early on. Um, if you if you like Lonigan early and Nick White, I mean, yeah, if he's having a rest, Fines comes on later in the game and just starts picking holes in a tired defense. And that I think we need to be a bit more um, with the coaches maybe. I think some of them do and some of them don't need to look at these guys. And say, okay, you have a role off the bench as a finisher and specifically fines. Like he's just so he's out on that extreme for, for pace and agility. Like that's his best opportunity. If you haven't got a back line that can consistently get the ball out to him in space, then the other context of the game where he's going to be effective is late when people are tired and the defense is breaking down a bit. Um, if you can get a roll on. So I don't mind seeing him come on late. I don't see him getting in ahead of White and Lonigan at nine, and I wouldn't force it. And I don't know if he can win a wing spot, win a wing spot back. Um, but he certainly has a role late in the game. It was very effective that way. Yeah, I think there's too much talent there on the wings. I think Mac Hansen even is. It's such a shame to leave him out of the team. I mean, a shame that he's leaving Australian rugby as well. But Rumbies, yeah, I don't know if they kind of really targeted that Crusaders game coming out of the final and. And thought, you know, we got so close in that one. Maybe the Chiefs, you know, only going down slightly to the... Or only pipping the Western Force, sorry, slightly over in Perth. Maybe they just thought they'd have an easier game of it that wasn't to be. And now, like we said, the the Australian teams are really going to struggle to make the finals. And Brumbies and Reds look like we can't even hang our hats on, on those teams anymore. Which brings us to the Reds. And you guys you guys were saying it before, there's there's... Good Crusaders performances and there's spectacular Crusaders performances. And this was the latter on the back of the guy we keep talking about and everyone keeps bringing up to me whenever I start talking about rugby, even up here in Auckland, it's just how good's Richie? How good is Richie? Guy is just amazing from the sort of finesse to um, crossfield kick or take um, to give the offload to just the speed that he can turn on when he sees half a gap and just get through. The guy's just amazing. He's, he's a pleasure to watch just week in and week out. And this was no exception. So eight tries the Crusaders got across. He got three of them, kicked eight from eight conversions. No missed penalties at all in this game. The Crusaders just on another level, on another level. And we say it every week, but it just, it just epitomised sort of the golf that is Australian rugby versus New Zealand rugby at this stage um, and has been the stage for a while. I think it was, it was eight tries scored. It was actually nine total. No penalties were attempted in this game. So no one actually took a shot at the goals for a penalty at any point. Everyone was going for tries and the Crusaders were just absolutely on fire. Um, like they're good, but when they're, when they're playing at their peak, this is what they can do to any team. And the Reds, you know, the Reds, you know, they've got Paisami back in. Uh, they've chosen to go with uh, Vinavalu on the wing. Um, they looked they looked solid, but I think the Crusaders just know exactly who their opponents are and they, they picked them apart where they knew they could. Because in a lot of ways, it's a fairly balanced game that the... The Crusaders were very dominant at the ruck. They, they took a lot of ball off the Reds, um, which the Reds didn't really counter or, or at least couldn't uh, potentially because it seemed like uh, McWright was kind of contained really well by the Crusaders. 
and then they just you know they picked their men they were they were making breaks and and Richie was just yeah he was a standout amongst all the others who were playing at such a high level um just it was just a clinic like it was like blues uh versus the rebels last week that just looked like an absolute rugby clinic you know an international side versus a club side this this didn't look like that but the, certainly the the level the crusaders were playing it was amazing and it bodes very poorly for the Waratahs this weekend and for the Rebels and Force to come. That run home for the Crusaders is just getting easier and easier and there could be some very high scores coming. And it wasn't and like it wasn't just um Mawang and like the backs we keep talking. Um before I go on to make my point, um uh I do like the fact that they put Fanganuku back on the wing. He's definitely more of a winger than the thirteen that everyone was touting as a few weeks ago. And you see the difference with him in the wing um, versus sort of Enor in the centre. But just like the, the offloads that the Crusaders are able to generate, and I think they took advantage of what we sort of were talking around a lot of the year, and it didn't seem to matter in the Super Rugby AU tournament, but there is a lack of size in the Reds' backline. Um, they don't have the biggest centres or wings. If you Hunter can put on a hit, but he's not the biggest guy, and then you tear him with Hamish Jordan, you have Jock Campbell and um, Hegarty there, and you just had some of the bigger Crusaders forwards or backs um, sort of taking a tackle, and the only way that the Reds, those Reds guys were able to tackle them is around the hips and lower, and they just know they're going to have a free arm and they're just going to be able to offload, and you saw it several times with, like, Ethan Blackadder, again, just had an awesome game. And he's, I mean, I, I've said it a couple of times, but I, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to see his name in the All Black squad when it gets announced for these July sort of test series window. But between him and the second rowers and um, Fetu Douglas as well, like it, they just made it easy for them because they always were able to have an arm free and just pop it up. And they always have that man expecting that pass. Which... You know, you look at the way the Crusaders seem to just disassemble their opposition. Like they, they've identified the weak spots, and in some ways, like the the Reds' defensive strength, in terms of like they make they make their tackles. They don't miss a lot of tackles, but if they're very good one on one, and it's because they go around the legs and low and and take the guys to ground. If you can then find support for those players and just create levels of support coming through then the offload option is there and eventually you will you will just deplete them and you'll be through them so the the crusaders seem to employ that a lot in this game like just really rampant offloading it it's the sort of thing you see when this is very one-sided but i don't think it it became a feature because it was one-sided i think it it actually created the this feeling of one-sidedness in this game they they were going after the offload they were supporting each other as they always do but particularly freely um, throwing the ball back and, and looking for support players. And it just created a, an absolute nightmare for the Reds. And they, Archie, as he said, they, they maybe didn't adjust, but would they have been able to adjust? Would they have fallen off a few tackles trying to go high to, to contain this and, and still being pulled apart? I, I don't know. But um, it's certainly saying that the coaches need to review if, if, if they're effective at tackling one-on-one and it's because they're always going low, there is that obvious um, gap that potentially the the offload game comes into play and you don't really have an answer for it. 
And it's not to say that the Reds had a really poor game. Otherwise, like, they put together some really great play. I think um, we've seen sort of after a reasonably quiet first half of the season from Harry Wilson, we're suddenly seeing a little bit more from him in the last couple of weeks. And he's got his hands on the ball in space a little bit more. Obviously, with that charge down and set up, that sort of late try at the end of the game was really good to see, as well as the sneaky dummy um, running him down the the far left touchline to score himself as well. So there is still promise here. I'm by no means trying to be sort of a doubt of it. I just don't, I guess I'm having trouble seeing what, what it is that um, has made sort of this problem for Australian rugby when we come up against Kiwi teams. And like Leo, you said earlier, like maybe New Zealand saying whether they want to continue sort of trans-Tasman comps which I don't think is a real possibility that it wouldn't. But even Australian people are saying maybe we should just try and make a comp with like Asian teams um, and try and exclude New Zealand. But obviously the the reason that um, it's such a steep learning curve is because we haven't played these teams for like two years now, right? That we've gone from playing in each other where maybe it's not quite the hardest game every week that you get that if you're playing a New Zealand side like um, for 10 weeks in a row. Yeah, there were probably fewer games in the Australian derbies, which as time went on, they built in intensity and built in tempo and and didn't just become a grind. So, yeah, it's been a while since we've just faced this relentless, fast attack. Um, and I guess, you know, really, really um, accurate execution. The Australian team's skill level, the skill base just isn't the same. Uh, you can expect a few more errors. You can get a bit of turnover ball. Some of the kicks don't hit the target and you get counter-attacking counter opportunities. You've just got to be that much better to respond to these Kiwi teams and you've got to find the the um, strength to to keep responding with more and more intensity and blow them off the puck because that's what they're doing to us. Yeah, I think you said it, Leo. It's, it's about precision and I think it's also the fact that the New Zealand sides, their defence is underrated, I think, um, which then you know, probably constrains us to 20 or 30 points a game, whereas they're happily scoring 40 or 50. And these margins are making it look embarrassing. I just think it's partly exposure. It's partly talent levels. I think we play a different sort of game in Australia at the moment. Even though in AU we were seeing some attacking flair, I think naturally Australian teams are a bit more structured. We play a bit tighter. Um, and the Kiwi teams are just thriving in the open play unstructured play that their skill levels allow them to kind of really dominate with. And I think the answer is that we need to play them more regularly. I, I don't concede the, the point that, you know, we should set up our own separate competition and only meet them in a final series in some sort of Champions Cup-like playoff. I just think that will lead to bigger problems when we come to the Wallabies. I think we've got to take this bit of pill at the moment we have to build upon the things, you know, that, that are lacking in our game. And the, the way we do that is playing teams like the Crusaders, who are arguably the most talented club team in the world. They have been probably for a little while now. Um, I don't see any other teams around the world actually having much of a chance against them. So we've got, we're placing ourselves against hot, like the highest level of domestic competition in the world from New Zealand. Um, and before we were getting some easier games, say against the Sunwolves or some of the South African teams, 
So that was propping us up and making us look maybe better than we were. But I think if we can get through this phase um, and strengthen the domestic teams, I really think it's going to translate well into the Wallabies um, and build upon, you know, the next kind of era of Australian rugby. Because we do have a lot of talent there. It's just about fostering that um, and, you know, learning to win again on a consistent basis. And I think, like, the the momentum we sort of have built up in Australia over this year with, like, the new TV deals, stand sport, the increased sort of crowds coming back, it's so important that we take that through to a successful international season if we're not going to have a huge amount of success um, in this Trans-Tasman competition. If the Wallabies, like, we, we have to get the Wallabies winning that um, three-test series against France. Like, you have to come away with a win to, to show because... There, there is definitely enough talent there to create a really competitive um, Wallabies team. We've seen it sort of for years when, even when um, the super teams weren't going that well at all, that the Wallabies could still put together performances. And if anything, I think that we have a higher level of talent than we've had for the last five years at the moment um, to mm. draw upon. So yeah. I think it just it becomes so so um, so necessary that the Wallabies really have some success. And I think. I think Dave Rennie and, some, and those guys um, appreciate that um, and they're working towards that as well. We, I think we have the framework in place. We have one of the best international coaches going around. You know, it sounds like people are all working in the right direction from Rugby Australia down. There's just a better, you know, whole, whole framework of coaches in place. So I think there's big things to come this year for the Wallabies. And yeah, it does start against France. They're a really tough team but also they've had to contend with COVID in Europe. They're traveling over after, we'll talk about it later, but their, you know, their domestic competitions just come to a close. So they're going to be, they've got some things to overcome as well. I mean, luckily for us this year, maybe in Australia, this trans-Tasman competition is quite short, short and sharp as we've talked about. It's over in a matter of three or four weeks now. And then we can move on to focusing on the Wallabies and bigger things to come this year. Um, we need to learn from some of these games and, and make sure that we, you know, recruit better, have have a better preparation for next year if we go back to that, you know, fully-fledged round-robin competition that I think everyone's looking at. But, yeah, I think it's just the short-term pain for, for longer-term gains. All right, before we jump into round three, um, let's take a break and look at some of these other competitions because top league... We talked about it last week. It finished up in a bit of style on the weekend, not the way that we thought it was going to go with Suntory going down. They were just got behind early and the Wild Knights just obviously came to play and started off with like that early intercept. Bowden Barrett throws it straight to Dylan Riley who runs 60 metres to get the Wild Knights on the board and then um, they just get a few penalties going. And some of their big names like... Um, Fukuoka again gets across the, the line for a try and the Suntory I think they just ran into a defence that they haven't encountered all year long they were used to scoring points at will and suddenly they were getting knocked back at sort of every opportunity and they, they came back with a strong second half they tried to make a game with it they only went down by five points but Robbie Deans the man he's, he reigned supreme in Japan for a little bit longer He's clever, and I think the you know Suntory also had quite a tough semi-final against the Kapota Spears. 
So I think the last couple of weeks have been tough for them. They were missing Simon Karevi in this game. And yeah, the, the Wild Knights showed their class. And we're just going to have to wait another year to get that victory, I think. So, Arch, I think also we should probably mention um, the final of the European Rugby Champions Cup, um, which was featuring two French teams this year, La Rochelle, with our, one of our favourites, Will Skelton, in there in the second row. Um, versus Toulouse, who ended up coming out on top 22 to 17. And they've, you know, as we've talked about, lack of second row depth in Australia. They're, they're locking Arnold's. partners, Rory Arnold, Richie Arnold in there, starting for Toulouse. Richie, I think, had to go off quite early in this game, but they formed a pretty formidable combination um, during the season. And just some of the names in these teams. I mean, Toulouse has, you know, Colby, um, names like Jerome Kano, Arnold Brothers, Falmoina. Um, you've got La Rochelle, Victor Vito, Toera Cavallo, Ihaya West, Raman Rule, Dylan Lades, Will Skelton. Um, some of the big French names like Antonio. Um, but yeah, just a lot of big names featured in this game. Um, and yeah, it's, it just shows you, you know, there is talent from New Zealand and Australia and South Africa still out there playing into, you know, their 30s, well into their 30s, these guys, and they're performing at, at the top level still. It's a shame that we don't have the money to to draw some of these guys back. I think Rory Arnold might be our best chance. I think Will Skelton's pretty happy over there at La Rochelle, having been at Saracens previously. So it's going to be tough to draw some of this top talent back um, into Australia. But perhaps Japan is something we've been looking at, I think, there's a bit of discussion about that over the last couple of weeks and whether we should be kind of opening up pathways to have players play in Japan so they can do that season that maybe is a bit less taxing on their bodies, a la Michael Hooper, and come back and then feature for the Wallabies during an international season. So there's a lot of things that need to be looked at, but you know, having players over in the UK and France is still very much a problem for Australian rugby. I don't know if I want to, but should we look at round three of Super Rugby Trans Tasman then, boys? Of course we should. There's wins to be had. There are definitely going to be some wins. So we start off with the Hurricanes hosting the Western Force. This being what used to be Super Round, a lot of these games have gone to alternate stadium. So um, the Hurricanes will host the Force in Napier down at McLean's Park. So Force starting three weeks on the road in New Zealand. Hurricanes, again, they, they're turning on a bit more attack than we've seen from the last couple of weeks, um, continuing to improve. I mean, is it enough that the Force have a few of these Argentinian names that did so well on European, um, did so well on New Zealand road trips and away games a few years ago for the Jaguars? Do they bring some of that mentality for them? I mean, there are a whole team of um, guys that have been living away from home for a long time surely they're going to be one of the teams that can function well on this road trip. Yeah, well, they've, they've functioned well. They've, they've won away from home already this year against Australian teams, more wins than we expected from them. Uh, looking through their three weeks, like they've got the Hurricanes, the Crusaders, then the Blues. So this is the easy game um, in one sense, although none of them are easy. Uh, the Hurricanes have shown they can... Um, they can they can defend, but there's still a, probably we say they're the weakest defensive team in the comp 
from the New Zealand sides? I, I think they would be because I'd, yeah, I'd rate I them as so. 48 points or whatever the Waratahs put on them and then a team called the Melbourne Rebels who can't put points on anyone uh, didn't put points on them. I don't take that as a sign of defensive prowess. So um, the force just need to take a hard nose. I want to see Jeremy Thrush uh, lying all over Geordie Barrett in the in a ruck and just you know getting getting in his face, putting him off his game um, to try and get the force uh, some momentum in this game. This is this is one they should be targeting now off a poor start, first one before the the tour fatigue sets in. Um, this is definitely one they should be targeting and and just going at these guys with a lot of physicality. That's another unsung forward pack. So they need to surprise each other, I suppose, to to get the win. The the force have have what they need. They're they're mobile. They're experienced. They've got that international flavor. I I, I don't think they're going to win, but I think they can take it to them. Yeah, I do. Having looked at the the forces lineup, I think you know they they're really starting to to form some good cohesion. Um, maybe except for at ten, but they brought Miotti back starting there. So you've got the Argentine kind of combination there with Cabelli and Miotti. Um, I like the look of the back row. They persevered with that with Lee Warner, Kateka and Anstey. But it's really hard to say that they're going to be able to get a win when I think the Hurricanes were so potent last week. They showed some real physicality against the Rebels. I think if they can get their discipline in order as well, they're just going to go from strength to strength. They've got uh, Adi Sevilla coming back off the bench for them. Um, and, yeah, they're just all around looking pretty dangerous. And I thought Auburn Ledger, even though he's not your classic 10, he does enough to kind of unlock some of these exciting backs. And they've got plenty of talent and speed out wide. So I think it's just a case of the, the force won't be able to keep up with the Hurricanes in terms of point scoring ability. I think they'll frustrate them. I think they'll, you know, show that they're a quality team. I think the force are a decent team, but... Again, it's hard to pick against the Hurricanes, a Hurricanes team playing at home, even if it is an alternate venue. Um, so I'd be picking the Canes by 10 at least. Yeah. Unfortunately, the way, way it's looking is... And, and it's exciting that Artie Severe has managed to come through his injury so quickly um, to get back on the bench. I think no one expected him to be back for the third round of this competition. A lot of people didn't expect him to be back for this competition at all. Um, so that's good news from that. I think I do like the look at the force team with Godwin back at 12. I think that's a better sort of centre pairing with him and Kahui at 12, 13. Um, I think they'll keep it close, but yeah, I'm, I'm tipping as the 11th win in a row for the, the Kiwi teams. Starting on Saturday, triple header again. Um, so the Tars down in Wollongong, down in your neck of the woods, Leo, hosting the Crusaders. At Wynn Stadium. And is, is this going to be what we just saw them put on um, 60 points against the, the Reds, win by 35? Do you, do you double that? Are we going to see triple figures here? Uh, I think even if the Crusaders played as well as they did against the Tars, um, they wouldn't double it. But I, I expect this to be a hefty margin. And Wollongong's got to get its head out of the NRL books to to try and attend this game. We wanted to see a good crowd there at Win. I would be there, but I have someone, uh, a good friend getting married down in Canberra, so I can't even go to this one, unfortunately. But um, Wynn Stadium is a good stadium. In the afternoon on a, on a Saturday, it's a great time to be there on the hill with the ocean behind you. Um, 
this, I don't think the Waratahs unfortunately gain anything from traveling down to Wollongong. Like the team who haven't been, you know, haven't had a home in feels like, you know, six or eight years that keep jumping around playing in different stadiums. The Crusaders don't mind where they're playing. They've obviously put plenty of points on. And yeah, I think this is probably, probably going to be another sort of 60 saying to 20 something uh, in all likelihood. Crusaders are a better defensive outfit uh, than the than the Waratahs encountered last week. Uh, it could get very ugly very quickly. Uh, I guess what the Waratahs, what I'd like to see from them would be just a, a semblance of the structure that they want to carry with with their with their individuals um, in the forward pack doing their bit. But un- unfortunately, the, the Crusaders will get through them. They'll they'll be creative. They'll be offloading. Um, everyone just needs to do their job, and you need to sort of take this as a as a opportunity to learn how the Crusaders, a good team that strategize against their opposition, how they break you down, uh, and learn from that. Um, you know, someone like Jake will probably break out and score a try, and it'll be interesting to see if they continue with the, the Harrison Harrison a fullback. I, I didn't mind that unless he's on the field to do your kicking. He's very accurate, but. Yeah, this is this is definitely gonna be a one-sided affair. Yeah, it's just whether you see maybe the Crusaders rest and rotate some guys in this game. Um, given I think they really had a clear focus on those Reds and Brumbies games, particularly the Reds. I think they had their pretty much their full strength team out there. And you know, they they tend to to kind of keep guys' minutes to to as needed. Um, so they're pretty smart with the way they rotate. And they'll be looking now to really prime themselves for probably an anticipated finals appearance in a few weeks' time. Waratahs, it's you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I have seen quite a good a few good things from them in the last two weeks at least. I think their attacking structures are coming along. Will Harrison really tried to get himself in this game when he, he got the opportunity, so that was a positive. Though I think Donaldson is still worth persevering there. Um, I think you're going to be hard-pressed playing Harrison at, at 12, so he'd have to be at fullback if he was starting, um, just from a size perspective. But the Waratahs just really need to focus in on their defence, make all their tackles, try and limit their errors so that the, the Crusaders can't counter-attack. But, yeah, you just got to think that the, the Crusaders have way too many points in them. And, you know, I think the Waratahs will just be out to keep this respectable. Um, I think they're going to have to be realistic. Um, but who knows? There's been upsets with these two teams before, and you never know. It'd be the most unlikely scenario to get a win for an Australian team, but you know, I'm not going to write them off completely, and at least it's on Australian soil. And we may see the unveiling of um, new star recruit, uh, Robomi um, Warren Vossiato, in this one. I've seen a lot of pictures from the training um, for them this week with him out and about with the team. So be on the lookout for, for him to hopefully get his first cap for the Tars and make a bit of a statement. Next, we have the Blues hosting the Brumbies, the only game that is uh, in their regular sort of stadium down there at Eden Park. Um, Blues, obviously, two big wins. Brumbies, uh, two disappointing losses for them. Um, this is their last game before they head home for two home games at GIO. Uh, Best chance for a, a win this this weekend here? What we think? Potentially, um, the Brumbies. 
coming off coming off that loss last week, you know they'll they'll know that they need to be better. Um, they are better. I, I expected them to be much more in the contest last week. So considering considering how they fell short to the Chiefs, I think they need to fix up their their set piece. They they got pushed around there. Um, the Blues, unfortunately, are the opposition you probably don't want to come across when it comes to scrums um, with what's still four four All Blacks props um, in the mix. So not much relief there. Um, but the, you know the Brumbies backs still look good, and if the forwards give them a, a good platform, I think you see the kind of um, breakout games from Iki Tau, um, maybe Carter as well. Um, you know, and they've still got their strong kicking game. So hopefully it's not a kick a minute like it has been for the Brumbies the last couple of weeks, averaging up around thirty to thirty five kicks a game. Um, want to see them keep the ball in hand and and really run at this blue side and and really test if they are defensively as, as strong as they've looked against the weaker sides. Yeah, I think it is a good opportunity for an Australian win here. The Brumbies are still a very classy outfit. I think the Blues, although they're, they're hitting their straps in this competition as compared to earlier in the year, I think the, they've shown at times they can get frustrated. And if the Brumbies play some smart rugby, maybe they do need to keep it tight and, and limit errors and really work to their strengths with them all and hopefully the set piece. Um, we know how potent the Blues can be all over the park. They've got dangerous you know, players everywhere. But I think equally the Brumbies have a lot of threats too in attack. So, yeah, I think it's just a case of the Brumbies really have to come out and play one of their best games. They've had a really tough road trip over to New Zealand, obviously, with three pretty hot teams. But I think that they do have a good chance here, and I think I'll be tipping them. Leo, are you thinking you tip the Brumbies then? Nah, you'll tip the Blues. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I don't expect the lineups to be anything surprising. Um, so yeah, unless it does become like we've talked about with the Crusaders, you know, could potentially rest Moanga. Like it, it changes the game dramatically if they if they start resting some key players. The Blues were bringing key players back though from memory. Like Tuapalotu was coming back off the bench last week. Um, they, they're bringing some healthy guys back who've who've had a break. Um, if they feel the full strength side, I think I probably would tip the Blues in this one. But again, certainly should be close. And in any of these games where I expect it to be close, um, you know, there's always the chance that the Kiwis just put on a couple of tries late in the game, play the 80 minutes, and win. But equally, if if the teams like the Brummies, like the Force in round one, keep it really close, it becomes a a one try sort of margin, and and anyone can take the win at the death. So that's the sort of game I'm expecting from the Brumbies to, to stay in. They're, they're not going to run away with it early. I don't think they should be expecting to. If it happens, great, but that that wouldn't be the expectation. They need to stay in the game and build and just keep themselves either ahead or, or within, a, within a, a reach at the end of the game and then just really give it everything at the death. So in, with that in mind, then, do you think the Reds are going to be the first Australian victory in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman then? Um, another game at home, but they're up north. They're up in Townsville, um, making the Chiefs travel a bit further north, uh, getting them into a much warmer climate than I'm sure they're used to um, down there in Hamilton at the moment. I think this is the one I would be tipping an Australian side. Again, assuming we get the lineups we expect. Um, the Chiefs feel much more like a team that... We can we can run the back rowers at McKenzie and really pressure him and and contain if we can contain him, put a bit more effort into that and just break them down from from the inside out. 
um, the Reds will enjoy the travel. They, they're always, um, when they've got some time off in a bye week, they're always out in the regions. They're very well connected with the Queensland country groups. Um, and I think that's sort of the, you know, the Queensland um, mentality that Brad Thorne's built into them is that, you know, this is, you're not a Brisbane team, you're a whole of Queensland team and, and you should love going to these areas and feel at home. And, and I'm sure they'll get the support up there in Townsville as well. Um, so certainly I think they'll, they'll learn a lot from last week. It's a disappointing game, a lot of, a lot of things to work on, but I suppose if, if you've been exposed by the Crusaders and you can analyze that, um, and, and make corrections, then what are the chiefs learn from last week? They can only, you know, seek to emulate the Crusaders, um, hitting the weak points of the Reds. And if they've fixed that up and they can bring some of their own attack to bear, then this should be a good game. It's great having these sort of games the last of the round because I think it just keeps keeps us keen to, to watch all the way through the weekend. I would have the Reds in this game. I'll, I'll give it to them by seven. I think it's a, I think it's a controlled game where they can stay ahead and, and, you know, they don't run away with it, but they don't let the Chiefs get too close. Yeah, I'd echo those sentiments. Um, I think the the Reds can get this one by five. I think it's a it is a big advantage going up north. It's a bit hot, a bit humid. Um, the Reds will be more used to those conditions. The Chiefs have had to travel around a little bit, and I think they're just not quite of the caliber, obviously, of the Crusaders. So I think the Reds will have had a, a pretty tough week of training. Brad Thorne will be into them but they have pretty lofty standards up there in Queensland. And I think this is where they'll, they'll break their two game losing streak. And um, yeah, I think they'll do us proud there and, and hopefully off the back of a Brumbies win, the Reds can do it as well. That isn't the last game um, of the round because we do have one on Sunday. Uh, If it does go to head, because it is the rebels trying to travel over to Queenstown to play the Highlanders at the time of recording, we are do have a pause on the travel bubble between Victoria and New Zealand due to COVID, um, which should be over before um, before the weekend. So provided that nothing changes there. Unfortunately, they weren't fast enough to get um, the Rebels on a flight before that kicked in the other day. Uh, so they're, they're going to be crossing their fingers and hoping that we still get this uh, game to, to watch there down, down in Queenstown. But Highlanders obviously returning... Uh, from over there in Perth. So they've, they've travelled a fair bit in the last two weeks as well um, versus a Rebels team that not really sure why they decided to come back from um, Wellington to then go back to Queenstown. But uh, do we think we see a little bit more improvement from the Rebels? But it, it's, again, at home, Southland, Highlanders, too good. Yeah, I would be expecting the Highlanders would be too good. Um, until I see signs of life that the Rebels can, you know, score a few tries, get up around the 25 points mark against decent opposition. I, I just can't see them scoring enough points, even, even if they um, keep the, the Highlanders down. They won't keep them to fewer than four tries and they themselves, I don't think, will get more than two at the rate they're going. So really, it's just in the maths. It's a, it's a 10 to 14 point margin uh, and that's if the Highlanders don't go off. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think the the most interesting thing about this game is probably the venue over in Queenstown. It's a lovely place to play down there, but the Rebels having averaged now probably less than a try and a half a game, 
they just can't find the find points to save their lives. And you know, when Marika's is struggling to score, you know you've got a problem. So the the Highlanders, I think, they're a grinding team as well, similar to the Rebels in some aspects. But I just think as a unit, they're a better team. They're playing with you know relative confidence, and the Rebels, I think, this season couldn't be you know couldn't be over more quickly for them. They've had a pretty bad one. Um, and yeah, they really need to to find their feet for next season and find a coach that can lead them out of this mess. You keep mentioning the fact that Marika hasn't scored this year. I don't know how to put it's this. A, question. It's, a product, it's a product of his environment. It's not him. It's the system. Like if you put him at the Brumbies, he's probably scored five to ten tries this year. That's just the nature of it. I think the Rebels just don't have the class in that back line, the creative capacity to unlock defences. Matsumura is not the creative force that people like to paint him as. He's a defensive number 12 who can control a game and has glimpses of brilliance now and then, but by by no means is he the guy you want to rely upon to, to create a, you know an amazing attacking backline player. And I think it's a barometer of the, Red, uh, the Rebels' backline um, talent, like not having... Even though he's not particularly exciting a lot of the time, but DHP they're distributing from fullback coming in to support the the wide plays. You know, we just haven't seen anything um, out of Pincus and and you know the other hodgepodge of people who've dropped into fullback at times. So it's it's a it's purely a sign that to me that the the Rebels backline just isn't functioning. They're not getting the ball wide. They're either slow to distribute or they're not coming from deep enough or um, they're just, they're just opting to carry and run because maybe they don't have the confidence in their own um, skills to spread the ball. And, and Marika's just not getting any opportunities as a result. So it's, it's hard to um, say that Marika isn't uh, at a level or isn't, isn't playing well enough. Um, and that's why he hasn't got tries. I think he's a product of the environment and the opportunities that just haven't been there this season. Do we do we know where he's going yet? Has that been confirmed? Because I I think he, they were suggesting it was Japan, but equally I think it could be France. So either way, he's going to get some good cash, which I think he deserves, obviously. But if he goes somewhere like Japan, I think he's going to be contesting highest try score in that competition in the top league. And putting so, on a highlights reel of big tackles. So just staying with the Rebels, I know that we are locked into five Australian teams moving forward at this stage. I want to hear your guys' opinions. Do you think that we should be thinking about going back down to four teams? No. As much no. as the Rebels are a hopeless mess at the moment, I think it's just been um, a bad model. They brought in a lot of talent. They haven't really nurtured enough um, in that in that phase where they were showing signs and they've just fallen back down into the valley um, while other teams are on the rise. And they they probably... All, all the Australian teams, aside from, I guess, the Reds and the Brumbies, who've been strong for a couple of seasons at least, um, the Brumbies obviously for a long time, that they need to bring experience and, and talent in. And at this point, I'm open to, to all avenues and I'm not worried about diluting Australian sides with, with some internationals to, you know, as much as that takes a spot away from someone. Well, the spot isn't any good to a young developing player if the best person they can learn off um, is is another young developing player. Like then we need some senior guys. If they come from international um, backgrounds, like the the force of build, I think that just 
it, it does a couple of things. It, it injects that experience back in. It gives you a diversity of um, sort of styles of play and um, you get all the different attributes of different international sides mixing in. Um, and, and then you can develop that next group of guys who hopefully you don't lose to France and you don't lose to Japan um, rather than them feeling like, well, you know, I'm good enough to have a super rugby contract. Can I parlay this into a contract in Japan? Like someone like Harry Hawkins, who was really just making the starting side consistently and ended up in one of the grand finalist um, sides over there, Suntory being, um, you know, a starter. You're making, making a name. Like we're going to lose guys like that if we don't give them the experience and the environment in the Australian sides. I think it can be a you know a really fun environment to have some international travelers there who are up for it. Maybe they're a bit older, but you know they can be serious and and good mentors when they need to be. And there's there's been a fair bit of transition in the Waratahs in the Rebels, you know, in terms of losing valuable caps, valuable experience from those teams, and perhaps you know short in term investments being made, particularly in the Rebels' case, that just really haven't paid off. So now you've got, yeah, two a significant markets, you know, within Australia. One, a, you know, long-standing rugby market in Sydney and, and Melbourne in a market that we, we're hoping to capitalise on. Um, obviously, Sydney's not going anywhere. The Waratahs aren't going anywhere and I expect them to bounce back next year. But the Rebels are a team that we need to stick with. We've seen what, you know, can happen with the force now that they're back in this competition. They've got a similar model with private investment with Twiggy Forest, obviously, in Perth. Um, you know, that's happening in Melbourne. There is money from the government going into rugby facilities and pathways into the, you know, the super rugby team down there. But it's a question of time. It's a question of the system that's in place. We need a good coach. And we probably do need to spend a bit more money more wisely in franchises like that because they don't necessarily have the pool of young rugby players coming through that, say, the Reds have, the Waratahs should have, and that the Brumbies definitely do have. Um, going back to four teams, I think, just creates, you know, more problems for us, you know, because then it comes down to the debate, who do you lose? On a given year, who's the worst team? Is it the Rebels? Is it the Force? I think we're pretty set on the fact that the Brumbies, Reds and Waratahs aren't going anywhere. So it's always going to be a debate between those two other teams, which I think is particularly unfair and it's hard to, you know, hard to know which one you would cut. And I think it's pretty clear at the moment, if we were looking at it, that people would be picking the Rebels to be kicked out of this competition or, you know, if you're looking at shrinking to four teams. But in two years' time, it could be the other way around. The Force might be struggling, the Rebels are hitting their straps and then you have a counter-argument. So, you know, I think for the next five years at least... You know, we should be persevering with this model. We won't really know how we're going to fare exactly until we get back to, say, 12-team competition with, you know, the Pacifica, the Pacifica team and the Drua team coming in. I think once that model stabilises, I think we'll find that it's something that's going to work. Um, I think more players will come back to play in Australia if we open pathways to more international, you know, guys coming in if there's more money flowing through the competition. Um, I just think long-term, five teams does make sense, but it does mean that we do have to spend the money to perhaps keep players here in Australia. Yeah, it's, it's a good argument. I, th- I, th- I think you're probably right, but I think it's important to make sure that we are evaluating this from what's going to be best for Australian rugby. Um, and obviously that 
the fact that the force have unearthed a few names in each year now that we wouldn't be seeing otherwise if we didn't have that team um, in this competition. So it just proves it's worth almost almost from that purely. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Happy to wrap this up. I was going to say like Christmas. Go to the Guiltinis. No one cares about the Guiltinis. The vibe is good over there. How good's their their social media even like with AAC and Gits just riding around on these electric bikes with their shirts off. Like they're just having the time of their lives. And it's just, just, it's just crazy how if you look at Matt Guido's career and, you know, from the disappointment of not being picked in that World Cup squad by Robbie Deans, the way it's played out for him has just been spectacular. So, you know, I'm a massive fan of his, as you know, and I think, you know, it's a great, great um, advertising vehicle for MLR generally when you've got this sort of success on the field and also people having a lot of fun off it. It's true, but the Guillotinis have now lost a game. They've lost that unbeaten streak. So even though they are way, way out in front um, on the table, it's lost a little bit of magic now for me, mate. Sorry. You'll see in the final. I'm not sure how the final series works, but I think it's the two conference system end up, you know, they're playing off, you know, in that playoff scenario. But I think the Guillotinis, you'd have to say, are still the favourite to take out the MLR title this year. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that at this stage. Let's leave it there, guys. Obviously, we get to see what's going to happen this weekend, uh, whether we do end up at 0-15 and or whether we can claw back a couple of victories here in round three of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. As always, we are moving ever closer to the July test window internationals with the Springboks coming back, the Lions happening, New Zealand and Fiji and Australia and France. So, so much to be looking forward to. And we're going to start seeing a lot more about these international squads getting put together even more at this stage. Thanks for tuning in for another week. Make sure you are checking up with us on social media at Instagram uh, at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod for all the extras and the team lists before the weekend. Once again, we'll be back next week. Keep on running. Run.